Good evening. Welcome to another segment of Broadcasting Politics with your host, Cisco Costa. And tonight we have coming back for another run on Broadcasting Politics, author Annie Burdell, the self-proclaimed advocate of educating women in the art of personal protection and self-reliance. She'll be on in a couple of minutes. Well, the the biggest story in the news this week, Robert Mueller appeared and basically confessed that he he is truly a political hack. And he's very good at that job because he basically did a good job for exposing what the Democrats are pushing to do, which is impeachment. Have we, haven't we heard that term before? We've heard it since they got elected and they took over Congress. They have accomplished only one thing in the last two years, learning how to say impeachment. Otherwise, they have accomplished Nada, nothing. So Robert Mueller said that that it was unconstitutional to basically convict someone who has not committed a crime. But at the same time, he comes out and says to please the Dem- the, the Democrats, well, you know, we we, we can't give him the, the the free pass that he's not guilty. So he, you know, he's double talking here. He wants to please one area, the Republicans, and he wants to please the Democrats. But in reality, it's given the Democrats even more ammunition to go after the president. So I, I nominate Robert Mueller for the political hack of the year. He is the po- biggest political hack that Washington has seen, and you know Washington has a lot of them. So he's had some competition. So, uh, so now, now the, he, he set the stage for Gerald Nadler, you know, and, and some of the 25 to 30 Democrats that actually want an impeachment. But you know who's standing in the way? It's not Donald Trump. It's Nancy P. Brains Pelosi. She's basically saying, no, 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 no. We're not touching impeachment. Why? Because she knows that if she does touch impeachment, you know what? It's going to be a landslide. He's going to win. He's going he's to be reelected easily. But that constant battle. Let's see if Nancy Pelosi really has control over her political uh, party, has control over the House. This is going to be this, 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 and the twenty-five, thirty uh, candidates for the pre- for the Democratic Party who are running for to be the president of the United States of America. It's going to be a it's going to be a fun ride. Just get get your popcorn out, become a couch potato, and just enjoy it because it's going to be a wild, wild ride. But I think I think at the end. Um, Nancy Pelosi is going to win. I, I, I don't think that there's going to be uh, taking that chance of proceeding with the, uh, with the impeachment process. And, and, and then this is going to look really, really horrible on the Democratic Party because then the base, the base who's been, you know, insisting that they need to impeach this, you know, SOB, According to them, they're going to be disappointed. And guess what? I bet they're going to stay home. They're going to stay home. And that's where I'm saying there's going to be a landslide. Uh, and, it, it, and it's going to be comical. It's going to be comical because they have put all their baskets in, I mean, all their eggs in one basket. And it, they're going to be disappointed, just like they were disappointed with Robert Mueller's report. Just as they've been disappointed with a lot of the things that have been happening during the the two years that 
three years that Trump has been in, in, in you know, in charge of um, the White House. So, anyway, I just had to get that rant out. Annie Burdell, how are you, Annie? Welcome back. I'm, thanks. I'm great. How are you doing? Did you enjoy my monologue? <laughs> I hate uh, politics so much. <laughs> uh, I know I don't you know why do. I sign up for this. <laughs> you you sign up because you know you you know that I enjoy uh, prepping. Uh, so well, you, I know they're I enjoy that politics. Well, you know they go but, hand in hand together. Politics, we have to prep. Exactly. It's every crazy, every four, every four years we're prepping to vote for someone, right? Actually, every two years probably. <laughs> every year it seems like, but it goes in cycles. You're quite right. You know, every four years we see this uptick, depending yeah, on yeah. which side is winning. I call I call that the po- prepping po- the political prep. Yes, but it's crazy that we have to live our lives like that, scared to death on who's going to win. Well, get your popcorn out, sit in your couch, and become a couch potato because it's going to be fun with the 20-something candidates that are going to be running next year for the Democratic Party. Uh, well, you know what? I'll just rely on you to give me the news because I'm not going to waste my time sitting on a couch watching the shenanigans going on because, to me, that's just... <laughs> A waste of time. Okay, but wait a minute. I'll, I'll expect you... highlights. You know. <laughs> so, Annie, just for any of our listening audience that has not uh, had a chance to hear you, can you just let, tell us something about yourself and what you've been doing? You're, I know you're an author. You know, very. Uh, you're on Amazon right now, so you're. You, you know, you're. you're Prime, you're in your prime now, you know. On, you know, and if you have Prime, order her book, her new book. <laughs> yeah, uh, I am on so Prime, just, actually. Exactly. Look at that. How did I know that? Uh, just yeah, if you can basically give us a brief description um, or whatever description. I mean, description of uh, when did you start writing? When did you become an author? And everything else that you can share with us. Oh, well, that's a lot. But hi, my name is Annie Burdell, and I run the website uh, world, and it's all about uh, preparedness, uh, that, that survival state of mind. I kind of gear it towards females because when I started the website back eight years or more ago, there wasn't much information out there for the female side of things. It was mostly about, you know, Rambo-type guys out there and getting it done, so I figured, what the heck. So... Um, off of that, I met a lot of wonderful people, um, a lot of post-apocalyptic authors, because it seems like what we prepare for a lot um, in this crazy world, and especially when it comes to politics. But, um, you know, I started reading a lot of books, and a lot of them did not have very strong female leads in them, if female leads at all, or even the female characters in the books were not very uh, prepared or smart or anything like that. So I decided I needed to change that. So I wrote a couple books. I just released my third um, here just uh, last week, actually. It's about a crazy bunch of older people in an assisted living center that um, something happened. I'm not going to say exactly what, but they end up having to uh, form a plan with their past uh, military experience and go out and save their grandchildren. And why do I hear bubbles going off? It must it must it must be uh, it, mu- it must be a, uh, those, <laughs> those, those, those tornadoes in in central Indiana hitting uh, well they're just north of me right now so hopefully we can make it through this. I thought maybe you were drowning over there or something. No, no, I'm 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 enjoying uh listening to you. Uh so so did you start when you were young or, I mean, or, you know, at what point did you say, because, you know, to become a writer, I would think that there's something that you're born with or something that you have always desired, you know, like 
Yeah, yeah. I may want to write a book, but it, it's not in, in me. Uh, it's not a passion. Did you have that passion always to write a book or, or wanting to be a? Well, uh, yeah, I would say. I remember. Okay. I remember writing my senior thesis on the JFK murder that happened in Dallas and wow. conspiracy theory around that. So it kind of, you know, has been with me. I was the mm-hmm. only person that got to stand up in class and read her thesis to the entire class. I was the only one that got an A in it. So, um, but my English teachers are all over my Facebook wall too. So they're following my progress, and it's nice to see that they're proud of me. And, you know, are buying my books, and they're, they're like, I'm their claim to fame, if you want to call it that. But it's just, it's something that helps me um, not let my head explode sometimes, because there's so much misinformation out there. And I was approached to write some technical manuals on, well, you know, canning or, you know, foraging or anything like that. But to me, a lot of people don't read those kind of books. They have them in their library. But I, and they, but they don't remember the information in it because there's so much. And to me, it's easier for people to read a story that has information in it that they remember better. And that's kind of why I put the information I wanted out there in story form, because now they come back and they say, "Well, I did this last weekend because this is what Emma did in in Alpha Farm," and or you know this makes sense. And you know, so right. that's that's kind of why I do it the way that I do it. Hmm. Interesting. Do you, you do you find that there's more there's a growing number of women that are becoming more authors or writers or uh, book, book writers? I mean, booksellers. I think in the post-apocalyptic genre, most definitely. I was one of the only ones, you know, eight years ago, and now that's coming. Um, I hang with a lot of them because to me. Um, I think it's important that we stick together and help each other out. I'm not competition with them. That's not how I see it uh, because I cannot possibly write enough books in one year in order to satisfy all the readers that are out there. So we kind of hang out together and share each other's information in our books and talk and and go to we're going to do a camp out here soon in West Virginia um, where we all hang out together and, and the fans can come in and meet us and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, it, it helps our readers, too, stick with us because now they're open to this entire world of writers instead of just one, and they get to know right. us personally. And we get on and we cut each other up. I'm in one Facebook group called Women of the Apocalypse, and there's 12 or 13 of us in there now. We're actually writing a live novel as we're going Every week, one of us is chosen to write. We drop about 2,000 words a week, and we're making this stuff up as we go. Even as authors, we don't know what the, what the writer before us is writing, so it actually stretches our muscles, too, which is fascinating. But we're such good friends and becoming even better friends that we sit in there right. and we cut up, make fun of each other, and are developing this great friendship over this. So it's awesome. Fantastic. That's a uh, uh Team building, team team building, and uh, I think um, girl, girl power, women power. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Girl, yeah. Boys, girl. <laughs> so your first book was Alpha Farm, am I correct? Yeah, Alpha Farm okay. was the first. And what has what what are the other books that you've written so far oh. that are out there that if you know. You can basically, um, later on, you can tell them where, where you can purchase them. But what, what was the second and third book? Well, I wrote, I started an Alpha Farm series. So book one of Alpha Farm is called The Beginning, of course. Um, and then book two in that series is called Facing Your Demons. And then I just started another series called Old School. And that's about the older people um, that are gonna, going to rescue their grandchildren. So this year I have books three and four coming up of Alpha Farm um, to continue that series. I'll have book two of Old School coming up. And I'm actually working on another project with another author friend of mine, um, G. Michael Hopped, who has created a, uh, we call them worlds because we do. We create these entire worlds with our books, and we create the people and the scenarios and all that. Well, he has a world that he created called the New World. 
and um, it's a seven-book series at this point. And he, he asked me if I would write a spinoff to that book based upon some information in it. So that's what I'm currently trying to get done right now so I can get back to my own writing. Um, but it's, you know, it's a great community to be involved in because we not only get to um, get our craft out there, but we also get to teach people and possibly help people survive, which is awesome. Got it. Got it. Um, so one of the things that um, we have spoken about is things that I think are very critical to discuss tonight because of what's been happening in the Midwest with the tornadoes and also the flooding that has been occurring in, um, in different parts of the, uh, in the heartland of America. And one of the topics was tornado preparedness. Um, you have seen the, the destructions that happen, happen in, in, um, in Missouri. I think, I, I'm not sure if it was Joplin, Missouri, uh, and what's Joplin uh, happening in, in yeah. Yeah, Joplin, Missouri, Saline, Ohio, you know, the heart of, of the Bible Belt. Um, how do you prepare for a tornado? I mean, I remember, I, before you, you answer that, if, if you don't mind, I remember, and I've told the story and people laughed, and I'm including, I think, uh, you did, too. Um, I went to Kentucky on a business trip, on a business trip, and one of the uh, one of my colleagues said, you know, tomorrow we're having a tornado drill, and I said, what? A tornado drill? Okay, uh, I've heard of tornadoes, but I don't know what a tornado drill is. And uh, well, you basically get down and go on the go on uh, on a ditch. And I said, what's a ditch? <laughs> I didn't, you know, from New York, you don't have tornadoes in New York City. Uh, so, uh, yes, how do you prepare? What's the steps that anyone who's listening, who's in areas like, you know, Tornado, tornado Alley or other parts of the country, tornado preparedness, what, is, what does that entail? I'm still laughing over your story. I, I, know, I know you are. You're, you're still laughing about uh, my Kentucky trip. Yeah. You did. <laughs> and you know what? Yesterday, um, New York City was actually under a tornado warning. So times are changing. And there's there's a plethora of reasons out there, um, some conspiracy theories of why our weather pattern is changing so much. But I don't think there's anybody that can deny something is something funky is going on with our weather right now. Whether it's Mother right. Nature being pissed off at us or whatever this is not normal weather and patterns. And I say that not just about what's going on right now, but if you track back several years, I'm a weather like freak, like not in a bad sense, but I've always followed the weather. I wanted to be a storm chaser when I was younger. And my oldest son almost went into meteorology because that's how bad we like, you know, the weather. And so we've been tracking stuff for a while now and we just see this constant uptick, not only in the amount of storms that we're having, but in the severity of the storms that we're having. Um, one just hit close to home for me on Monday night because I live in Indianapolis. Tornado after tornado. We had 46, I believe, tornadoes that went through Monday. 46 wow. in one day. Wow. Um, my brother lives in Dayton, Ohio, which got just the northern part of it got just, I mean, they say it looks like a, a war zone. It just got destroyed. I was, I woke him up and I said, you know, hey, <laughs> you might want to pay attention here because whatever hits me first eventually gets over to him. And so I'm like, you know, you might want to pay attention to what's going on here. And so he's like, you know, we're talking about it. So he goes and looks out the window. And I'm like, dude, get in the basement, you know. So... It went through the first one and um, hit the northern part of Dayton. And he's like, is it over with? Because he had no power at that time. He had little cell phones and he didn't see no radars or anything. And I'm like watching. And I'm like, well, I, I'm, it looks like it is. So no longer had I said that when a second tornado, now classified as an F4, 
while wow. we find the first one. Oh. So, I mean, it was it was intense. So, I mean, there comes a point in time, and I hate to say this, but there are certain times there's not a whole lot you can do to be prepared for certain situations. Um, you basically hunker down and you ride it out, and that's pretty much where he was at because, I mean, an F4 um, is over 200-mile-an-hour winds. Our structures here in Ohio and Indiana are not built to handle that kind of sustained wind. Um, but uh, if you're in, I mean, and it's going to depend on the situation you're in. If you're inside your house, you know, do not listen. You and I were probably raised about the same time period where they told you to pop all your windows open upstairs and things like yeah. that. Yeah, don't do that anymore. That will get you killed faster than anything. It does not matter. The winds are not what what the problem is, the pressure. Um, so, uh you know, your best bet is to get into an interior room with no windows and or get into the lowest possible floor of the building that you're in um, and then ride it out. You want to get under a strong structure. You know, if you have kids and you have bicycle helmets or they're playing football, get the helmets on their heads. You know, that's the most important thing that you want to protect. Um, but, um, you know, I just had an incident two years ago. I was on my way to Colorado and if you've never been out 70, they have these arms that come down over top of the freeway that won't allow you to pass. Well, it's like this time of the year, and I'm like, why can't we continue driving? Well, they're like, well, there's tornadoes coming through. So get off, wow. find a hotel, and you walk in. The first thing they do is they have all these signs up that everybody's in the basement. And it's like, right. oh, heck, you know, <laughs> this is real. So always follow what the natives do because they're the ones that live there they know what's going on they know how to best handle it i'm in the middle of kansas at this point no idea you know where i'm at basically so end up the next morning after you know get back on the road you know drive probably just three miles up the road and the billboards are down the trees are gone i mean it was it was an experience to go through i can tell you that you know a car is not a place to be, quite honestly, because we've seen um, limbs and stuff go right through vehicles. We've seen, you know, your best bet is to get in the lowest ditch that you can find. And I know we've been preached that in the past about getting in underpasses underneath, but quite honestly, that will protect you from the debris. But because of the winds and the pressure, it um, has sucked people right out from underneath of those. So... I mean, there's a lot of good information out there now about how to be prepared for a tornado. The problem is the flying debris is what you got to look mm -hmm. out for. Right. And I knew mm -hmm. when Dayton got hit, they were using snow plows to plow the debris off of the roads. It was that bad. Right. Now, the debris is a, is a huge, huge issue. But... I, I, I think I've watched quite a few movies about torn, tornado. You know, I think there was a movie called Tornado Alley. And a lot of these homes had uh, like a dungeon. They built dungeons. Storm shelters. Storm shelters. Yeah. So why wouldn't areas that or houses that are built in those communities have storm shelters? That's a very good question. That's a that's an that's an actually an awesome question. Uh, they just recently put tornado shelters along the freeways for the truck drivers. Mm -hmm. um, but one would also question why our homes are not built for sustainability to begin with when it comes to simple things such as water catchment or power. Also, um, you know. Well, I'm 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 I appreciate your compliment. I mean, coming from. Miss Prep herself. <laughs> uh, I appreciate that, um, but why? I mean, I, I I just don't understand that. How come? I mean, every house should have a storm shelter built in. You know, it should, but I think they're at. You know, people like to gamble, and you know, I know we've seen an up. Uptick recently, but it's only certain months out of the year that we have this issue, and they figure, why do we need the extra expense? Because they are expensive to put them in. So I just 
don't think people understand. They think that their basement is good enough. They think that, you know, an interior room is good enough. Um, they just don't, they don't understand the severity of it. But I think, unfortunately, this pattern that we're on is not going to get any better. It's only going to progress worse. We're going to see some years that we might have fewer, but I think we're going to see, you know, eventually we have F4s, F5s, on up to F6 and F7s at this point. And also that has impacted uh, tornadoes. Basically, bring like it happened in Dayton, it happened in Joplin, and it's happened in quite a few places throughout the country. It base, you know, uh, it, it creates a, a, a an economic devastation for the state. Oh, absolutely. For the for the for the county, for the you know, for the city, the local towns, and also the federal government. Oh, so, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the whole northern part of Dayton is gone. I mean, just gone. Businesses, I mean, everything is just not there anymore. So, uh, luckily, to my knowledge, at this point, we had one fatality somehow. Somehow, you know, God bless that, because I don't know how we only had one fatality out of that. Um, because they had they had four, four tornadoes that hit directly into Dayton, one after the wow. other, in the wow. same area. So... Hmm. How we got out of that one, I don't know. But, yeah, absolutely. These storms are getting so severe. Even take the tornadoes out of it. Look at the amount of water that's dropping. And we've seen that going on right now with the storms that have just pummeled the Midwest into Kansas and the Arkansas. I mean, our farmland, our heartland, the place that we get food from this, for this country, uh, for the most part that, or, that sustains our farmers, is completely underwater. And it's already almost June, and they should already have their crops in. Some of these guys have been completely destroyed. They will not farm again. They're saying we're looking at 50% shortage in the amount of food that we, as the United States, um, manufacture out there every year. A 50% drop. So, and that's if they can not be, you know, they're talking, Noah has come out and said now that expect these places be underwater until almost July before this is going to drain and be able to harvest or, or at least plant some of these fields out there. But that's after some major cleanup because you just can't go in after floodwaters have been in there and plant. I know here we had flooding in Indiana last year and the farmers had to go through and burn the fields afterwards in order to be able to use them because of all of the debris and all of the um, less than particular things that the murky waters, the sewer water bring in. So, I mean, we've got a long road ahead of us. Then you add in, you know, I know I was reading just a minute ago, one farm alone lost 700 hogs, which means, um, and that's, not, that's just one farm. Now multiply that by multiple states, and you're looking at the price of beef and pork and, you know, chicken and all of that, our meat is going to go through the roof once this settles right. down. Um, it also impacts the price of milk. It will impact butter, your bread, I mean, all of that. So if, you, if you're looking at storing some things up uh, food-wise, you might want to do it sooner than later because this will eventually impact what you pay for, for your uh, commodities in the store. Well, the thing is also that the, I mean the good thing is is the president has recognized that, and there's there's I think eighteen billion or more. I I don't know I don't remember I don't recall the exact number, but that's going to that's a farm aid relief for what has been happening in the Midwest, and uh, I think awesome, it's which is great, but the problem is it's not planting the fields right now. The fields are still underwater, which means we cannot grow food. Right. No, no, no. I, 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 I get what you're saying. Uh, the prices will go up. So how do you, I mean, you know, to someone who's basically living in the Midwest or living anywhere in the United States, how do you prepare for these scenarios, the, the water issue, the, the amount of rain, uh, the flooding, the tornadoes, I mean, it, how would you prepare? You're, you're, you're an, uh, uh, 
your expertise as, as a prepper, what do you do? Besides, uh, well, I know I have. First of all, I have. I've sat down and I've thought about it, <laughs> and not acted irrationally off of you know hysteria or what's going on out there. You know, you need to prepare for what's going on in your area specifically. A lot of the people in the Midwest that are underwater, it's a little late for them to do that. They're in survival mode right now. They're not about preparedness. They're about survival. And, you know, when it comes to back to tornadoes, you know, having certain things in your house right now is very important. You know, one of those is a weather radio, and they make them in different varieties. Um, I would suggest you find one that has the capability to have batteries, a solar power to recharge it, and a crank uh, handle right. also. Right, Because... Mm-hmm. You know, Dayton is still without power. You don't know what's going on if you don't have the ability to get on the radio and listen and hear what that is. So a weather radio is very important. Um, If you do have a cell, you need to have some kind of backup battery for that. I have one that I have that I use. It has nine charges on it. So um, things like that are going to be important. And just remember, too, if you use your cell, texting takes a lot less power than calling someone. Um, you need to make mm-hmm. sure you have a supply of medication if you're on medication. Um, you need to have some kind of water filtration system. With the flooding that's going on, it's backing up the sewer plants, which means that's going to come into your house um, if you have some kind of sump pumper or something like that. It also means the water that comes out of your faucet is going to be contaminated. So how are you going to get, you know, potable drinking water? They make things such as a water bob that fits into your bathtub that will hold 100 gallons of potable water. Um, it's 20 bucks. It's cheap. It's easy. You fill it up real fast, and bam, you've got water for several days. Um, you also need to be able to clean any debris from around your house if you have a tornado and you are lucky enough to survive it. Um, right. But uh, flashlights, no-brainer, extra batteries, a first-aid kit. Make sure you have one with a tourniquet in it um, in case there is heavy bleeding. You want to make sure that you have some kind of stable boots that you can wear um, because you're going to be walking through who knows what. You also need to make sure that um, probably one of the most important things is that you have a family plan. So, you know, I know what you're doing. You know what I'm doing. We know what the kids are doing. And everybody knows what the other person is doing. So we don't have to worry about that and where we're going to meet and how you're going to handle things and who's going to go after who in the afternoon and somebody's going to school. Um, and that goes about, for basic preparedness all the way around. You know, get into food storage. Uh, FEMA tells us we should have three days. Dayton has been down now since Monday. I guarantee you all the grocery stores, either all, you know, their perishable foods are gone because they have no electricity, so you're not going to be able to pick that up. So you're already down 50% of what's in the grocery store. I would suggest, if anything, you have several weeks' worth of non-perishable foods in your house so you have something stored um, in case you can't get access to a grocery store. Now, all of this being said, we've seen complete homes destroyed in this. All of these preps that I just said can easily fit into a bob or a bug-out bag that you can grab and take with you. But there's also a very real possibility that all of this stuff could be blown in the wind down through the neighborhood, too, which is why I always advocate you have to have skill sets first. You need to know how to filtrate water without a funky machine. You need to know how to forage uh, local plants and stuff so that you can at least feed yourself or your children long enough until you can get sustainable food. Um, you need to be able to uh, have available to you medical knowledge so that way if you don't have a fancy cat tourniquet, you know how to uh, stop bleeding on someone so they, they don't die and you can get them to medical help. Wow. Those pets are free. They don't, you know, they don't cost anything. They don't weigh anything. You can take them with you wherever you go and... If in a case like this, I remember you brought up Joplin, Missouri, when the tornado yeah. came through, mm-hmm. hit the hospital, took out the hospital. You know, right. everybody's damaged and they need to go to the hospital, but the hospital's not there. That's why it's important that you have some kind of medical training 
um, to help, you know, maybe your child survive until you can find somebody that can help you. Wow. That's a well of information. How about, how about, how about some cash? You know, if you have to run a lead. What do you need cash for? Well, if the ATM is down and there's no power, what is it going to do you? No, no, cash, take out cash before it, it, it hits. So if you need to. Well, if a lot you of these need, people didn't know it was going to hit. Well, just having it. You mean have an emergency stash of cash? If you need to, oh, yes. If you, it's if not you a need bad to, idea. If, if, the reason it's I'm saying this. It's absolutely not a bad idea, especially mm-hmm. if you have to leave the area. And get exactly. hotel, you know, several pounds mm-hmm. over or whatever. But you know, when you're in the midst of it and the roads are blocked and all of that, I'd rather have a tarp. <laughs> quite honestly. No, I don't. I don't disagree with you on that. I, yeah, I don't disagree with you on that. I'm just saying that a lot of individuals that they've interviewed after a tornado or a hurricane, it's like. They, sh- they they would say, oh, I should have taken out some money so I can at least go to a hotel or I have or I have you know take my kids so they can have something to eat because they didn't prepare. No, uh, just yeah, no, I understand your point, but the yeah. problem is too a lot of people in the United States right now can't even afford to do that. So what do you do then? No, I agree with you on that. Yes. That, that 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 is an issue, but I'm saying the ones that could, should. Yeah, yeah, but then you got to also watch and be aware of scalpers. We saw that in Puerto Rico when the hurricane came through, when they're charging yeah. an ungodly amount for just a bottle of water. So well, I was, yeah, I, I mean was, I understand I, your point. Yeah, I was talking to an individual, but, an individual that was in in Puerto Rico for the hurricane. And the people who had money, they were able to, and this is, I'm not saying this is correct, so don't get me wrong, I'm not agreeing with what they're saying, but they were able, people who had money, who took out money before they were, um, before the ATMs were able, you know, everything electrical was able to go back to functionality, to be functional, operational. They were basically tell, uh, giving, bribing the people from the energy company, the Puerto Rican energy company, and they were basically getting them up and going with electricity <laughs> before everyone yeah, else. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. Yeah, so wouldn't be surprised at all. Well, there's coming a day when there's a very good chance that our entire grid will go down. So right. there will be no bribing comes up. Well, I, I, we, we went right into our second topic. How sensitive is our electrical grid? I know you, you had uh, a gentleman on your show about, and he'll be here next week. It's a surprise, but how sensitive is our electrical grid? What, what did you get out of it? And I know you, you're very knowledgeable about the electrical grid also. Well, we don't have a whole lot of time, so I'm going to try and wrap this up as fast as I can. Um, Michael Maybe is a very good friend of mine, and he's been on my show. He has published um, a couple books now pertaining to the sensitivity of our our grid here. Um, And some little-known facts um, and troublesome information that we need as citizens of the United States to pay more attention to. And we actually need some things that that absolutely have to change. And he has a lot of information on his website pertaining that because I'm, he honestly needs to go before Congress. This information needs to get out there to everyone so that way they understand the severity of this and everybody can help. All your listeners can help. He has a page that you can go to. He already has done all the homework. He just print the stuff, send it to their congressmen, their senators, and whatnot to try and get some things changed. Um, I have talked on your show specifically about a particular electric company called PG&E in Northern California. And if you follow along with 
the tribulations of PG&E. Um, in a nutshell, um, they were found to have started numerous uh, forest fires in Northern California here just last year that completely destroyed towns, killed people, you know, took away livelihoods, homes, and mm-hmm. all of that. Well, um, they decided after that to file bankruptcy um, because they were not held accountable for the faulty equipment that they had that caused these issues. Um, after they filed bankruptcy, they had a new president come on board. Um, they were allotted by the state of California then to raise the prices of the electricity that they service. So that way the people that pay for the electricity could indeed pay for all the mishaps that this electrical company caused. Not the company itself, they still retain their profit because the president that they just elected was awarded a $3 million bonus his first day of work. And they are protected Hmm. under the court. And one thing that people don't understand, um, well, you kind of do when you move somewhere and you don't get an option of what power company you're going to use. There's monopolies. So you're already assigned a power company. That's it. You don't have a choice. Right. Um, mm-hmm. These power companies use the profits that they make off of us by, by hijacking us. I mean, my electric bill this past winter was $900 a month. I mean, come on. Wow. I live in a cabin that's 1,300 square feet with me and my son. I mean, I use a computer to write on, a few lights. That's pretty much it. Tell me why my electric bill is $900 a month. Wow. So that's... These power companies hold a monopoly. So they can charge whatever they want to. And what profit that they get, they then petition the government to allow them to continue to have these monopolies. And then they pay off the government to allow them to also make the rules that they have to play by. So there's no accountability whatsoever within this, um, this grid that we have to make it more feasible for those of us that have to live with it, which I find ironic is the fact that within the last, what, 150 years, well, let's say 100 years, um, when the light bulb was invented before it became mainstream electricity, that honestly, right now, if the grid went down, we would lose 90% of our citizens, 90% of the people in this country die if our grid went down. Hmm. And those are estimates by the power company itself. That is, so what is being done about this? These are some startling is, numbers. And in regards to what are we, what is Congress doing about it? Nothing. A lot of them don't even realize what's going on because they're too busy paying attention to Mr. Mueller who you brought up earlier, and, you know, the whole the whole issue with Trump and what's going on there. They don't really care. You know, they have their lives set. You know, what goes on with the rest of us out here in the United States is a whole different thing. And, you know, quite honestly, we're on our own. And Mike, Mike has done so much research. His website is amazing. Just go to MikeMaybe.com, uh, and you can get to all of his other stuff. But... Um, I mean, just the amount of, um, uh, what word am I looking for, Um, corruption that's going on here is unbelievable, absolutely startling, that we could lose most of the people in this country, and nobody cares. Nobody's talking about it, except for him. It's like his life's mission at this point to expose all of this. Well, we're going to try, yeah, we're going going to try, uh, I'm going to try to get in touch with some of the senators, um, hopefully, hopefully, uh, some co- congressional, uh, members to see if we can get Mike to DC and, and, and he can testify because, yeah, absolutely you know, needs the, to happen. yeah, the electrical grid is critical to the survival of the, uh, of our country. Uh, but we'll, 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 we'll expand on that with Mike next week, uh, Annie. Uh, the coming, yeah. coming, like the common, the expert. yes, the expert on, on the electrical grid. And I think, uh, 
it'll be an exciting, exciting uh, topic to really touch on, and we can expand that on it next week. The common, coming famine. Uh, explain what, 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 what do you? Why do you see that happening soon? Well, we talked about that um, just a little bit ago with the severity of the storms that have hit the Midwest and the amount of our farmland that is uh, buried underwater right now. And, you know, the price of food is just going to go through the roof. We're not only losing farmland, you know, our wheat fields, but we're losing cattle ranches. We're losing hog farms. We're losing, I mean, everything has just been decimated. Can we afford to bring stuff up out of Mexico and South America? Well, you know what? We can pay for it, but it's going to be an extreme amount of money to do that. And quite honestly, right now, um, I shared a video. I think it was Chile that just got hammered with a tornado down there itself. So, wow. Uh, I, it's not just that is, that, that are that is with shocking. this horrible weather. That is shocking. Yeah. Chile got hit with a tornado? Yeah, mm. that's right on my Facebook page. But, I mean, it's not just us. We're not the only ones dealing with this weather. We had extreme amount of snow um, this this winter, which, quite honestly, is a good thing because our aqueducts out west were, we were still in a drought for that, and we needed snow. But up in Canada, the same thing, you know? The amount of snow, the forest fires that have gone through. I mean, if you're not awake to the fact of how this is going to impact us, um, please do your research because, I mean, it impacts everything from the price of gasoline for our truckers. Um, yes, I know the power company will probably jump on board there and raise the prices of, of stuff, too. But, I mean, if, you, if you're not growing a garden, um, you need to seriously think about getting one in. And learn also how to um, uh, store food for long term without using your refrigerator, because you know the price of those. That's probably your biggest budget right now is paying your electric bill. Unfortunately, nine hundred dollars. You you just blew my you a just month. blew my mind. A month. That's totally uh, that outrageous. Blew my mind. <laughs> I think I weeped. <laughs> I was like, are you kidding me? You know, and it's like, oh, my goodness. Now, granted, we had some cold winter. I, there was a couple times we were negative 30 and things like that. But $900, yeah. So now, when you have stuff like that happen, you end up taking that money to pay for that off of something else. So how are you going to do that? Yeah, and and, – and... Do you believe that this is part of this global warming, climate change that's happening, that supposedly is happening? Oh, are we going to put the foil on our way? (laughs) Well, Um, you know, I I mean, well. (sighs) So let's tinfoil this for a minute, okay? So here's here's the possibilities that I'm aware of. Um, global warming has been spread for since Al Gore was around, quite honestly. And do I do I believe in it? I personally do not. Now, there's a possibility that we're entering a mini ice age, which is, if you have read Frankenstein, you will understand that that was the same time period. So these have hap- these have happened in the past, um, about the 14, 1500s, with the potato famines, with the Irish. We ha- that was right. considered a mini ice age. It was a solar minimum with the sunspots on the sun, that stuff affects us here. So are we heading into that with the severity of the storms? It's a very real possibility. Um, We also are seeing our poles shift, and I'm not saying that, you know, we have, people don't understand, we have a magnetic pole and we have an actual north pole and a magnetic north pole. Our magnetic north pole has shifted. It has wandered. It's not in the same spot it has been. When that happens, it affects how the jet stream and everything else plays in together. So, I mean, that's a very um, – you can actually see the, um, educa- the education on that. So that's also a very real possibility. That's why I say you add all this together, and we're looking at the potential that these storms are not going to subside anytime soon, and we need to be ready for that. 
we cannot sustain ourselves without using our interior farmland <laughs> to grow food. It's just not possible because our lives now are not set up for self-sustainability. We are now in a crisis point because we have been groomed to rely on our government, and by our government I'm talking about grocery stores and et cetera, to supply us with food as instead of going back, you know, 100 years when everybody had their own garden. That's why I preach permaculture, whereas everybody grows something around their house that is a perennial, you don't have to mess with it, it continues to grow, but it's a food source. And a lot of, we're seeing some communities go to that too. And that's going to be the key to get us through this. If we do not do that, we're going to lose a lot of people. And basically, uh, what the what is the main concern of the preppers today? Government regulations is what I've been on. When our government tells us we cannot collect rainwater, when our government tells us we cannot grow food in our yard, when our government tells us we cannot have certain. Um, um, domesticated farm animals such as chickens in our in our and around our property I have a problem with that because I think we each have the right to be able to sustain ourselves individually now that does not mean that we impede upon our neighbors and have you know roosters crowing at four o'clock in the morning um, if you want stuff like that move out to the country we've been groomed to migrate into cities also our farmland is being bought up by our government and either turned into state parks or just being set and left into, you know, state forests and all of that. They have done that because they understand what's underneath that land. So they're they're collecting it for themselves right now, unfortunately. And right. that's something that people need to wake up to. Right, right. Um, we have uh, about eight minutes to go. Uh, in regards to the young people, are we seeing an increase or a decrease or no increase at all in regards to young people becoming preppers? Oh, well, um, the term prepper was given a pretty bad rap here for a few years. I think we're coming out of that now because, unfortunately, of what's going on out there. People are, are waking up a little bit and saying, maybe you guys weren't as crazy as we thought you were. Um, you know, our, our public school system indoctrinates our children so bad um, that they think that, you know, growing your or having your own, say, cows is inhumane, but it's okay to go to Walmart and buy beef. Um, I used to have kids that lived across from me in a, in a, in a housing area, um, a neighborhood, that would come over to my house because, quite honestly, they'd never seen a chicken before. They had no idea where eggs came from. And that's wow. our youth, and that's who's going to be, you know, taking over our country eventually. I don't think they understand the severity of, you know, the long-term picture of where this country is headed to, um, and that needs to change. Got it's it. too I mean, convenient it's... right now. To just go into, you know, a grocery store or stop at, you know, Chipotle on the way home and pick up something to eat. And that's not a good thing. I I think then what you're saying is that you they need to have a wake-up call. And unfortunately, that happens by catastrophe, quite honestly. Right. I mean, I can sit here, you can sit here, we can scream and yell and tell them all we want to, and until we have some kind of downgrade catastrophe, catastrophe such as what happened in Dayton on Monday night, or Joplin, like you said, or what's going on with the farms out west, until they actually see that and or live through it, I don't think they're going to wake up to it, unfortunately. Right, right. Um Another another topic that we 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 we've covered in the past, but I think it's it's definitely uh, important to to touch on in the last couple of minutes is 
this whole thing with the illegal immigration and, and the southern border. Uh, we just recently had on our show uh, Brian Kofeger, uh who was from the GoFundMe account that basically generated, uh, collected $22 million. And they basically started the, the first phase of building a private border wall in the New Mexico area, El Paso, New Mexico area. And um, that has been right now put on hold because they never got the permits. And my understanding from my interview with uh, Mr. Brian, Brian was that they did it because they did not want to publicize it and have the left-wing media and left-wing activists protest. What's your take on, 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 on this whole situation with the private border wall? Well, um, there has been an update to that. I'm not sure if you caught it because it just came out in Sunland Park, New Mexico, where they're building this wall. Um, the builders of the privately funded barrier along the U.S.-Mexico border are celebrating after local officials allowed them to resume construction. Um, they actually submitted the application that they needed for the construction permit and have recently been allowed to go ahead and complete what they need to do. So, I mean, that's a good thing on the upside. They got the permits and, and are, are now resuming construction. Um, as a as a as a patriot, as a citizen of this country, um, I you'd be hard pressed to not understand the importance of having a southern border or a northern border, for that matter. Um, considering uh, what we've seen come across, and I'm not just talking about the amount of disease that is coming. I think we've all seen enough picking the measles, the mumps, the chickenpox, and everything else uh, because of un which vaccination is a whole nother show, but um, it's, there's other things too that are coming across the border. And then you add in, you know, the bad guys that are sneaking across with them. Our taxes are being paid for that when we can't even sustain our interior here itself, our roads, our bridges, or anything like that, because we're using that money to pay for illegal aliens. Um, right, right. Well, this past Memorial Day weekend, uh, in the, the El Paso border, which I've been I, on a business trip that I took, I was in El Paso, Texas, and actually I crossed into Juarez, Mexico, because I was basically taken there for lunch, and the amount of traffic crossing that border is unbelievable. I mean, you wait two or three hours just to cross. Past weekend, 2,200 illegal aliens were apprehended just for on this weekend. <clears throat> if, if you don't, if, if that's not called an invasion, you tell me what it is. Hello? Hello? Can you hear me? Did you catch that, Annie? Uh, I think we lost Annie Burdell. Um, so next week we'll have our guest who's uh, an electrical grid expert, and he'll be covering a lot of this, which I think is fascinating because – I can't wait to learn the deficiencies that we currently have with our electrical grid uh, and how we should be preparing. And we need to get Mike, won't give him the last name, on so he can go to Washington, D.C. and testify. And hopefully some of these politicians in Washington will start doing something about the electrical grid because – Based on the information I'm reading about the current stability of our grid, it's not very good. 
And we need to step up to the plate and say, enough is enough. So Annie Bordell's uh, books are on Amazon. So we'll touch next week. We'll get back and have a great weekend. And God bless America. An exciting new show on broadcast and politics will happen next week. Good night. Until next week.